Hello, and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you are in the right place. Today we are talking about Doomed, Season 4, Episode 11 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. If you enjoy traditional detective novels or supernatural thrillers, you can check out the first in each of my series free at lisalilly.com free. As for Doomed, in particular, I'll talk about how this episode compares to the Xander-centric episode, The Zeppo, the very strong story spark or inciting incident that sets off the plot and a key subplot, but an episode midpoint that lacks power, and finally a very well-structured subplot about Spike that has more momentum than does the main plot. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Doomed aired on January 18, 2000 for the first time. It was directed by James A. Contner and written by Marty Noxon, David Fury, and Jane Aspensen. I find it interesting that there are three writers here, which we haven't seen often in Buffy, if at all. A screenwriter friend once told me that the more writers you see, the worse the script usually is. And I don't know if it's the case here, but I do suspect that perhaps the three different plots that we see, and there's more than three, but that they may have been written by the different writers separately. We start with an opening conflict. That's our conflict to draw the viewer into the story, and it sometimes relates to the main plot and sometimes is separate. We pick up exactly where we left off last week in Hush. Buffy and Riley sit across from each other on the beds in Buffy and Willow's dorm room. After a long silence, Buffy says, somebody should speak before one of us graduates. Riley stands, looks at her, and says, what are you? Buffy, not too pleased, says, Capricorn on the cusp of Aquarius, you? Riley apologizes, but he goes on that she's amazing, so strong and so fast. And Buffy says, also passionate, artistic, and inquisitive. She asks what he is, and he says he can't tell her. So now Buffy stands and guesses that he belongs to some military monster squad that captures vampires and demons and probably uses euphemisms like unfriendlies. She asks how she's doing, and he says a little too good. And Buffy goes on that he pretends to be Riley Finn, corn-fed Iowa boy, and asks if he's ever been there and is that even his name. Riley says yes and goes on, and hey, Bulletin, I'm not the only one who's been a little less than honest here. Buffy, though, says she thought that being this professional demon hunter, he would have figured it out. And she says, I'm the slayer. Slayer? Chosen one? She who hangs out a lot in cemeteries? You're kidding. Ask around. Look it up. Slayer. The. Riley looks blank throughout, and he now says he can't believe how well she fought. Buffy relaxes a little bit and tells him he did pretty well himself. 
And Buffy says, I just, I really thought you were a nice, normal guy. Which alludes to something blue, the episode before Hush. By the end of something blue, she said she was over the bad boy thing. She just wanted a nice, normal relationship. And now she finds out that that is not exactly what she's getting. Riley protests that he is normal. Buffy tells him maybe by Sunnydale standards, but she's not grading on a curve. They both agree they need some time to process everything, and she promises she won't tell anyone about the military operation. Amy, the rat in her cage, starts squeaking. The whole room begins to shake, and Buffy and Riley get under a doorway. When it stops, Riley's really excited. It's his first earthquake. We zoom in on Buffy, who says, It's not mine and go to credits. So that was already 4 minutes, 43 seconds into the episode. So just a little bit past 10% through. And 10% is where in almost any book, movie, TV episode, you'll find a story spark or inciting incident. It's what gets the main plot rolling. And here, the earthquake sets off our apocalypse subplot. And then we get Riley's and Buffy's different reactions to the earthquake. Riley is excited, which will mirror how he feels about his work with the initiative, while Buffy is clearly distraught and overwhelmed in the way she delivers that line, it's not mine. And it reflects how she right now has what Riley will call a doom and gloom attitude about all of it. After the credits, we get yet another story spark, this one for the Spike subplot, which I think is the best constructed. Spike is in the basement and he's telling Xander he is sick of living there. There's a pipe leaking and Xander is fed up with Spike and tells him to try to fix it, calls Spike a big mooch who does nothing and Xander has to go to work. Spike makes fun of Xander's important job of delivering melted cheese on bread. Xander is wearing his work uniform, a striped shirt over a white tank top and tan pants. He hands Spike a giant wrench so he can get to work on the pipe and turns his back on Spike as he's telling him to clean up and do some laundry for a change. Spike tries to swing the wrench at Xander's head and then backs off immediately, gripping his own head in pain. At 6 minutes 34 seconds in, Willow enters the dorm room. Riley is gone. Willow tells Buffy she was in the library during the quake and was almost buried in 19th century literature. And she goes on, I don't have to tell you how hard it is to dig through some of that which I kind of think is a Jane Espenson line. Willow tells Buffy that one of the dorms is blacked out, and as they do with everything else, they're having a party. Buffy says Willow should go on ahead. Buffy will meet her there. She's going to see Giles, but when Willow asks, she claims there's nothing wrong. And we cut to Giles' courtyard, and Buffy tells him something horrible is going to happen. She is worried about the earthquake. Giles tries to reassure her it's so Southern California, there are lots of earthquakes and no reason for alarm. Buffy, though, says she does have a reason. Last time there was an earthquake, she died. Giles claims he remembers and completely understands her anxiety. And Buffy says, oh, good, because I'd hate for my little untimely horrible death concern to be ambiguous. 
A couple things struck me about this exchange. For one thing, I'm surprised this is the first earthquake since Prophecy Girl at the end of season one. And likewise, I was surprised it was Riley's first earthquake. I lived in Southern California for all of about six months, and there was a somewhat significant one while I was there. And my friend who still lives there has told me about many over the years. So I look this up, the usgs.gov page Cool Earthquake Facts says that every year Southern California has about 10,000 earthquakes. Most of them are so small that nobody feels them, but it does say that only about 15 to 20 are greater than a magnitude 4.0, which still to me makes it unlikely that Buffy has not felt any earthquake since the one the master caused. Certainly this is a fantasy space, so they can say whatever they want about earthquakes. I feel like where that doesn't work, though, is when reality intrudes for the viewer. Usually I just go along with the show, but this was one that it it just threw me a little. I think we need it as a plot device, but it might be a little far from reality. However, if you live in Southern California, I would love to hear, maybe I'm mistaken about how often you actually feel an earthquake. Anyway, Giles says that unless there is evidence otherwise, they can assume it's an earthquake and not a portent. In the meantime, he has a theory about the commandos, and he's got a map with a bunch of red pins wherever they have been spotted. Buffy does seem a little reassured by Giles about the earthquake, but when he shifts to talking about the commandos, her eyes widen and she interrupts him so that she can protect Riley's secret. So now she says, well, if it turns out they were wrong about the earthquake not being an omen of doom, there will be a lot of red faces. But Giles says if it was an omen, he's sure there will be other signs and they'll have time to deal with it. He goes back to the map. He's convinced the commandos are based underneath the university and maybe one of them is even in their midst. Buffy now jumps in with the word plague. Maybe that's how the world will end and too many people will be infected before they can do anything. Another creepy thing to watch during the time of COVID, as was much of Hush. I do enjoy this back and forth between Giles and Buffy. It's a nice use of conflict and shows that she is protecting Riley's secret despite that she's angry at him. Part of the problem I have with it, though, is it undercuts her concern about the apocalypse. She initially is very concerned because of having died before, but she's mostly reassured and is just using this as a distraction. And to me, it robs the plot of some of its suspense. Giles tells her as to her plague scenario that there are more pressing questions right now. And then we cut to Riley asking Forrest, what is the Slayer? Forrest starts talking about a band and Riley clarifies he means a girl with powers. And Forrest says, oh, the Slayer. He tells Riley it's a myth, kind of like what vampire parents tell their vampire kids to get them to eat their vegetables. He laughs at Riley for thinking that it's real. It's just a story to deal with the weird things that they see every day. And Riley asks how Forrest explains it. Forrest says that they're all just 
animals, and this happens as a demon gets away and attacks. Riley fights it off as a doctor fumbles for a hypo to knock it out. Once the demon's subdued, Forrest and Riley talk about how all the demons and vampires have been restless all day. Forrest thinks it's the earthquake, and it's just like animals rattling their cages. At 10 minutes 41 seconds in, Willow is at the frat house party. It's dark because the power's out. There's very loud music. And Willow looks a little lost. Buffy isn't there yet, and she doesn't seem to know anyone. Then she spots Percy, who she tutored in high school. He is there with his girlfriend. Willow says she thought Percy got a football scholarship to USC, and he tells her he did, but his girlfriend goes here. There's a slightly awkward pause, and Percy asks how Oz is. Before Willow can finish her sentence about Oz not being around now, the girlfriend whispers in Percy's ear, and Percy tells Willow they're going to go get some drinks and basically see you later. Some other students holding drinks to a conga line through a double door. As it swings shut... A claw shoots through it. This is a little bit of a mislead because the demon won't ever come into that main room. So it's not clear why this claw is there, but it is a good way to signal the shift in the story. This is the start of the first major plot turn. I think of it as the one-quarter twist because it often comes about 25% through and is from outside the protagonist spins the story in a new direction and raises the stakes. So that claw is just a little bit past one quarter, and then the twist becomes really clear at uh, 12 minutes, 19 seconds in. We cut to a guy pouring drinks in another room. He yells out to ask if the others are serious about naked limbo. He gathers four cups, turns, and a giant demon slashes his throat with its claw, and we cut to a commercial. We return to the party. Willow wanders through the crowd alone, asking aloud to herself where Buffy is. Then she overhears Percy's girlfriend complaining to him about him flirting with that redhead. Percy says Willow's just some egghead who was tutoring him in high school and calls Willow the captain of the nerd squad. And his girlfriend says, well, I don't know, maybe you have a thing for geeks. Percy reassures her that no, he likes his women hot. I found this very realistic. It reflects how... Once people know you, it is hard for them to see you any differently, even if you have grown. And in this scene, the girlfriend sees Willow as she is now and is jealous of that redhead. But Percy still sees Willow as he saw her in high school. You could also see Percy as simply not really having grown past high school. All of this triggers Willow's insecurities, which already probably were stirred up when she thought about Oz leaving. She leaves the main room, goes into a side room, and lies down on a bed. In the dark, she's near tears. At 14 minutes, 4 seconds in, the lights flash back on, and Willow sees that she is lying next to a dead guy who's posed on the bed, and there is a pyramid symbol carved on his chest. So until watching it this time and outlining the episode, I'm 
didn't get why the lights went on because I forgot about the power outage. So obviously this is the moment that the electricity comes back on. It also escalates that major plot turn. It is one of several coincidences that happen throughout the episode, or maybe a better word is convenient moments because Willow lies down on the bed and then the lights flash on. So she sees this guy next to her. It's a handy device for Willow to get this information she needs in a dramatic way. If this was done just once, I don't think I would have noticed it, but as we'll see, this happens a few times and to me is part of why the episode feels a little contrived and doesn't feel like it has as much momentum as usual. We cut to Xander. He is holding a pizza box, still wearing his work uniform. There's more water everywhere. And he yells at Spike about things being worse than when he left. Spike's voice comes from behind Xander and he says, don't turn around and then don't look at me. Of course, Xander does. And Spike is wearing a flowered shirt over slightly baggy tan shorts that go to his knees. And he's holding his black t-shirt in his hands. He shrunk it. Xander laughs. Spike yells at Xander to go get him some more clothes and some blood. But Xander is having none of it. And he tells Spike, you're not the big bad anymore. You're not even the kind of naughty. And tells Spike it's not even worth kicking his ass, though Xander could do it at this point. And Xander leaves. We cut back to the frat house. And I have to note, once again, nothing good happens at fraternity houses in Buffy. Willow is sitting on the stairs alone. The boy's body is being taken out on a gurney and there are police around. Buffy arrives. She says she wasn't sure where the party was, then saw flashing lights and ambulances. And she says, death, carnage, it's a Buffy party. Willow tells Buffy how awful it was finding the body and there was so much blood. And she says, there was a symbol. And Percy said I was a nerd. Buffy responds, Percy called you a nerd? Willow nods, but then says she guesses they should report to Giles. And as they leave, Buffy says, does Percy even go here? We cut to Riley. He's tossing a small yellow ball through uh, a hoop over his bedroom door. For a second, I thought it was a Nerf basketball. I used to have one of those, but you see it again later. It is not soft like a Nerf ball. It would have been fun if it was because there was a Nerf reference, I want to say, in season three, and I thought maybe the writers were having some fun with that. Forrest is with Riley and comments on how bad he's shooting and asks what's going on. Riley says he's trying to make up his mind about Buffy. And we get to what is one of my favorite lines in all of Buffy, because Riley says she's cool, right? And Forrest responds, yes, already. She's cool. She's hot. She's tepid. She's all temperature Buffy. I don't know why I love that one so much, but I do. Graham interrupts them to tell them about the death at the frat house. We cut to Giles' apartment. Willow is in the midst of relaying what happened, and she says, it just made me feel like I was right back in high school. And Xander tells her if it weren't for Willow, Percy would still be in high school. Willow goes back to the dead guy, talks about his blood being drained, but then continues, and I haven't been a nerd for a very long time. Hello, dating a guitarist, or I was. 
This too reflects reality that the personal moment hits Willow harder. It also illustrates how routine death and destruction are for all of them. And it reflects one of the themes of the episode about what is the end of the world and what's not. Willow draws the symbol from the guy's chest. Buffy thinks she saw it before. And Giles interrupts to say, it's the end of the world. And all three of them respond again. Buffy does her version of I told you so. And Willow says, no, it can't be. We've done this already. And Giles says, everyone dies. Buffy says she'll stop it. So this is another issue for me with this episode. It's a retread of the conflict that was in the background of the Zeppo, that episode that was all about what Xander was doing while his friends were fighting in the library in the Hellmouth and demons were trying to open it. We'll find out a little bit later that that is what these demons are trying to do do. I'm sure that was intentional to do that retread because it goes with the idea of this kind of endless round of dealing with an apocalypse, the end of the world, that is Buffy's life, or at least how she feels her life is right now. But this too robs the story of some of its power because the longer it goes on, the less worried I am because we have done this exact, almost exact plot before. In the next scene, Buffy is in the cemetery. She finds the symbol on the side of a mausoleum, which is where she remembered it from, and calls mausoleums to herself big freaky cereal boxes of death. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to see it continue, please post a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or just tell a friend who loves Buffy about the podcast or share it on social media. You can also, for as little as a dollar a month, support Buffy and the Art of Story on Patreon, and you'll get access to bonus content. Past content includes a breakdown of the series premiere of Angel, and this month in the Patreon bonus, I'll be talking about what's the deal with Riley? Does Buffy really love him? And The Nevers, the recent Whedon created show on HBO. Conveniently or coincidentally, right at the moment Buffy finds the mausoleum and goes in, a demon is inside robbing bones from a coffin. You can use coincidence in a story. Generally, it works fine to start a story. You can use it for kind of literary resonance. It is more problematic if the coincidence solves things for your protagonist. That's especially so if it were to solve the main conflict. We don't have that here. This isn't solving something major for Buffy. It does solve a small issue. She gets a look at the demon. She knows the demon is stealing bones. So once again, we have a character learning something just because it happens to occur at the right time. This demon does look a lot like the Zeppo demons. It's a little bit bigger, but I looked it up. It is, it is not the same demon cult. 
Buffy interrupts the demon, there's a pretty long fight scene. She finally throws it out of the mausoleum. There's more fighting. The demon throws Buffy over a large gravestone and runs off. She's lying on the ground on her back, kind of catching her breath, and a shadow looms over her. She leaps up thinking it's the demon and is ready to throw a punch, but it's Riley. He's in civilian clothes now, and he's pretty impressed with that flippy thing she did. So we're about 20 minutes, 18 seconds in. Buffy's surprised he didn't follow the demon, and he says, you don't go after one of those by yourself. And Buffy says, I do. But Riley tells her he's no slayer, and he radios his team, Buffy asks what he's doing there, and he says he's looking for her. We're now nearing the halfway mark of the episode. This is where I look for a midpoint major commitment by the protagonist or the protagonist suffering major reversal, and typically that drives the rest of the story. And in almost all narratives, you will see this. And the stronger that midpoint is, typically the stronger the story is as a whole. Here we don't really have a midpoint commitment or reversal for the demon apocalypse story. Yeah, the demon gets the better of Buffy and runs off, but that doesn't seem that strong. She isn't so beat up or injured that it feels like a major reversal. We do get a reversal in the Buffy-Riley plot because Buffy tells Riley at 21 minutes, 21 seconds in, that she can't be with him. It would be a huge black pit of a mistake, and she goes on about how it's doomed and she can't do doomed again. Riley's confused. It's not like they've been involved before. Plus, he's so excited about her and excited to find they have so much more in common than he thought. He tells her he's not going to walk away because he's afraid it won't work. He doesn't know what happened in her life that makes her feel that way. And Buffy says, pain, death, apocalypse, none of it fun. It's not entirely clear why Buffy reacts this way. It, it could be what happened with Angel. It could be triggered by that memory of her death, which we had the explicit reference to. But the fact that I'm not quite understanding why Buffy is taking this dark of a view makes the moment feel like it has less emotional impact. Buffy goes on about the Hellmouth and how she went to high school on it for three years and tells him they don't have that much in common. This is an adventure for him. For her, it's destiny. She can't change it or escape it. Riley tells her, knowing nothing about it, that it doesn't have to be that way. She can change things. And you could probably guess, I find that really annoying. And she tells him her answer is no. So the fact that this is the midpoint makes me wonder, as with many of the episodes this season, which is the plot and which is the subplot. Because to have this key moment for Buffy Riley suggests that the writers see that as the main plot versus not much of significance happening in the demon plot. At 23 minutes, 32 seconds in, we return to Giles' apartment. He's researching with Buffy, Willow, and Xander. 
they read about the demons. It's very lyrical, ancient writing. Then we switch to Riley, who's talking about the demon to the initiative guys and says, assume it's on a basic kill, crush, destroy mission. Buffy, though, tells her friends the demon's not there for fun. It needs the bones of a child. Why? Willow finds something more in a book. A ritual that needs the blood of man, the bones of a child, and something called the word of Valius. And it's part of the sacrifice of three that ends the world. But she says it's not big with the details, not specific about how it ends or what's part of the ritual. Buffy says she'll keep the demon from getting the word of Valius. They don't know exactly what it is, though. We go back to Riley, who is talking to the initiative guys about the demon's pheromone signal that they can follow and that it's in populated areas, so they're going to patrol. Buffy is going to the magic shop. Xander and Willow will go to Xander's to get weapons and then to the museum to see if they have something called the word of Valius. Buffy tells them to be careful. She couldn't stand anyone getting hurt. And we cut to Spike. He's still in Xander's clothes. He's standing on some furniture. And he says, goodbye, Drew. See you in hell. And he's trying to fall on a stake and kill himself. Willow and Xander walk in and interrupt. Spike yells at them for not knocking. Willow's upset that he's trying to stake himself. Xander's upset that Spike didn't wait so Xander could help him. And Willow scolds Xander. Xander says, what? He wants to die. I want to help. But Willow says it's not right. They can't just let him kill himself. They know him. Spike says yes, they can, and reminds them he'd drain them dry if he could. They're unable to assure him that he's even remotely scary to make him feel better. Willow says he has to come with them so they can keep an eye on him, and Spike unconvincingly claims he's fine. Xander tells them there might be an apocalypse, and Spike says, really? You're not just saying that? That was another one of those coincidences that Spike is trying to kill himself right as Xander and Willow walk in. That one doesn't bother me. I didn't even notice it until just now. And I think it doesn't because generally you can use a coincidence to complicate things and make it more difficult for your protagonist. And here we've done that. If Spike is the protagonist in the subplot about him, this is more complicated. He can't accomplish his aim. Coincidence or convenience has gotten in the way. It also makes things more complicated for Xander and Willow. As we'll see, taking Spike with is something that doesn't make them particularly happy. Also, it's just funny, and I feel like coincidence works better if it's for a joke. At 27 minutes, 43 seconds in, Buffy and Riley run into each other on the Sunnydale streets in front of that sort of open-air coffee house. After talking about tracking the demon, Riley tells Buffy the you and me thing is stupid. Buffy says she knows it's why they can't be together, and Riley clarifies he means Buffy is stupid. Then he backs off. He didn't mean it to come out that way. But then he says maybe he does mean it that way. And Buffy says, wow, with sweet talk like that, you'll definitely melt my reservations. Riley doubles down on it. He tells her he's serious. She has this twisted doom and gloom way of looking at things. And if she keeps thinking that way, things probably will turn out badly. 
So basically, his view is live on the hellmouth, just turn your frown upside down, which Buffy will point out in a moment. This is when Riley really starts to get to me, and I'm not sure what the writers meant us to think think of him. If their view is that Buffy is being unreasonable, she is looking at the dark side too much. And I tend to agree that she is. In fact, it seems uncharacteristic of Buffy for this season that she's doing that. So that bothers me. That doesn't feel motivated enough, although she will give us a few reasons in a moment. My trouble with Riley, though, is that he doesn't know anything about what being the Slayer is, and he just assumes all these things about Buffy's life and discounts everything she says about her experience. And and I don't know if we are supposed to think that Riley is being a jerk or if we're supposed to agree with him. It also seems a little out of character for what we have seen of Riley so far, because mostly he has seemed pretty supportive. When Willow was so depressed over Oz, he really tried to help in sort of quiet, very nice ways. He didn't yell at her for being depressed. I think it's more that they needed this to happen in the plot. They needed conflict, and it it feels contrived to me. Or it makes me dislike Riley if I'm supposed to believe that this is his view. And I have yay Buffy because she tells him there's nothing more dangerous than a psych grad student. She's tried to walk away. Riley goes after her, stands in her way, and argues they have more in common than they thought. And why is that bad? They're right in front of or in the midst of that coffee house. So they're talking in code and refer to it as finding out they're both fry cooks. And Buffy tells him why it's bad. She says, I come from a long line of fry cooks that don't live past 25. But he tells her he gets the risks, but it's the most rewarding job in the world, and it's fun. And he means fighting demons, not specifically being a slayer. But Buffy says, fun? The last person I know that believed that is in a coma right now because she had so much fun on the job. So I find it interesting that Buffy references faith here. And it makes me wonder if that is what is bugging her, that Riley thinks it's all a big adventure and she's worried that he'll end up like Faith? Or is it that she tried to kill Faith herself? Or is it a connection because there was a romantic relationship between her and Faith, which we never saw directly, but was certainly there in subtext. The next lines make me think that that might be it, because when she goes on to tell Riley, it's not the kind of gig you can hang up at the end of the day and snuggle with your honey. And he says, why not? Buffy says, because I tried it, okay? And every time it just fell apart. And then I get sucked right back into the uber evil. So my questions are, every time, I tried it every time. Well, the only time we really saw her try that was with Angel. And the only other one who might fit that bill is Faith. Her other relationships, if you can call them that, there was Scott Hope, who she dated a few times. She never fought with Scott Hope. There was Owen in season one, who she had one date, and she did worry about putting him in danger and broke up with him. But that doesn't seem serious enough to be what she's referring to here. So it does seem as if she's referring to both Faith and Angel. Still not clear what being sucked into the uber evil is, unless we say 
the way she ended up trying to kill Faith. Riley, again, knowing nothing about what she's talking about, says, well, welcome to the story of the world. He tells her evil comes and goes, but people manage by not doing it alone. And if she weren't so self-involved, she'd see that. So not only does he not know about what a slayer is, he's telling her she's doing it alone, and she's clearly not. She's been with her friends and Giles throughout this episode, working things out together. Riley doesn't know that. I also suspect it wouldn't count in his world as not being alone, because he means being part of a couple. Buffy quite rightly tells him he doesn't know her. And she once again tries to leave. He goes after her and does more to Psych 101 her, telling her she wants to stay in the dark because it's safer there. Now we get a little closer maybe to why Riley is so frustrated because he claims he knows it's not just about the job. He says, I'm sure that there's some good looking guy who'd done you wrong in there too. This does not make Riley more sympathetic to me though, because it just emphasizes how much he doesn't know about her life. And she finally tells him to leave her alone. And he says, fair enough. A couple of things here. I understand that characters do not behave at their best in a fight Riley maybe it's easier for him to be sympathetic to Willow he's not in the middle of that he's not being rejected or feeling frustrated because he has this sense that he and Buffy could be great together and he's trying to convince her but I still have all the issues I mentioned with it one other thing that I think may cause this is it is quite a long scene. And like the fight with the demon, which was also quite an extended fight, I wonder if this episode was running short. So we had a ton of demon fighting, more than we needed, and this scene continues quite long. So Riley's essentially repeating the same thing. And if he said it once out of anger and frustration, kind of discounting Buffy's experience, it it probably would feel more authentic to me to who Riley is and how frustrated he is. But because they keep going round and round the same thing, to me, it makes him come across badly. At 31 minutes, one second in, Willow, Xander, and Spike leave the museum. Willow and Xander are discouraged that there is no word of Valius there. Spike's a little bit cheered up. They could be that much closer to the end of the world. Willow tries to encourage him. Sure, he can't kill anymore, but there are other fun things he could do. He'll adjust. And Spike says, adjust. And what? End up like the two of you? No thank you. He continues that they should be glad for the end of days. Neither of them are making much of a go of it. And he goes on as he looks at Xander. You, kids your age are going off to university. You've made it as far as the basement. And Red here, you couldn't even keep Dog Boy happy. I mean, you can take the loser out of high school. Willow interrupts, saying he's just trying to get them to stake him. Spike denies that and tells them he just doesn't want pity from geeks who are useless. They protest that they're fighting the forces of evil, and Spike responds, Buffy fights the forces of evil. You're her groupies. She'd do just as well without you. Then he tells them maybe Buffy would do better because she wouldn't have to save them all the time, and they're the same 10th grade losers they always were. 
They look stricken, and Spike walks away looking happy for the first time in the episode. We cut to Giles. He's looking at a diagram in a book, and he realizes something. So we are near the three-quarter point in the episode. This is where we typically see the last major plot turn, which should grow from the midpoint and spin the story in yet another new direction. And here at 32 minutes, 34 seconds in, Giles gets out this box of, uh, I'll call them trinkets, and pulls out a talisman which looks just like the word of Valius drawing in the book. And right at that moment, just as he realizes it, three demons burst into the apartment. This will spin the story because now the demons have pretty much everything they need. So it will take the plot in a new direction. It's also another coincidence in timing. Giles, just as he finds out that he has the word of Valius, the demons also somehow know that it's there. This one isn't quite as problematic because it doesn't drive the plot particularly. It makes it a little easier because our characters will know that what the demons got was the word of Valius, so it makes it less clunky than if they had to figure it out afterwards. But because we've seen this kind of thing so much, it does further weaken the plot or make it feel more contrived. This plot turn also lacks some power because we didn't have a strong or clear midpoint in the apocalypse plot. And really, the demons getting that word of Valius here, that feels more like the major reversal. That's what puts them so close to doing what they need to do. If you want to learn more about story structure or are looking for information about writing or publishing, you can check out the articles on writingasasecondcareer.com. You can also find free story structure worksheets there or through the link in the show notes. Overall, this apocalypse demon plot feels a lot like filler. It's this small amount of story to carry this episode, which mostly is used as a vehicle to move the Buffy-Riley relationship along a tiny bit. The episode also shifts Spike's story fairly significantly, and it feels like that needed to happen somewhere around here in the season, and this is just where it was fit in. Comparing it to the Zeppo, there the apocalypse plot was a pretty thin thread, but it worked because it wasn't the main plot or even a key plot. It was more like an overwrought backdrop to Xander's story as he went through the episode discovering that he could accomplish things without his friends. He dealt with these demons that were raising the dead and trying to blow up the school, and Xander managed to stop the demons and thwart the plot to explode the school while his friends were fighting these demons who opened the Hellmouth. And we saw little clips of that, but we didn't see the details. And that was okay because it was Xander's story. Also in the Zeppo, that is when Xander had sex for the first time, and it was with Faith. 
And I find it interesting that in this episode, Buffy also alludes to faith here. Not sure if that is why they chose to retread the plot, the demon plot from the Zeppo, but it is an interesting way that the two connect. At 33 minutes, 24 seconds, Buffy comes into the apartment, which is trashed. Willow and Xander and Spike are already there with a beat up Giles. Giles tells them all that the word of Valius is not a book, but a talisman. He had it there. He got it at a sorcerer's estate sale and thought it was a knockoff. He also explains that the purpose of the ritual is to open the Hellmouth, and Buffy says, looks like we're going back to high school. So this makes me think that the use of the Zeppo plot is purposeful because we are taking our characters back to high school in an episode where both Xander's and Willow's insecurities that linger from high school are hit hard and where Buffy is struggling with the whole history of being the slayer and dealing with Angel and Faith and so much death and destruction. We cut to a commercial, return as they break into the high school, which Buffy comments does not look too stable. Spike is fine with that. He's still happy about a possible apocalypse. Buffy asks why he's there. It's not like he can fight. And Willow says otherwise he'll stake himself. And Buffy says, and that's a problem. Why? She then tells him to keep Spike out of the way and to get any human sacrifices out of the school. Xander ews as he steps on some mayor meat extra crispy, a reminder of what happened and why they exploded the school during graduation day. Our group nears the library and there is quiet chanting. Everything is all burnt out from that explosion. There's a big hole in the floor and there's three demons, but they don't see any people there to be the sacrifices. Buffy starts fighting the demons. Willow and Xander grab the bones and the talisman and try to keep them away from the demons that Buffy is not fighting, but it's tough. Willow tosses the bones to Spike. The demon starts hitting him, and he drops the bones. Xander is fighting a demon, and suddenly it runs off and jumps into that hole, and Xander says, okay, I guess I won. Then everything starts shaking. And I have a note, I just don't care about this plot. And I don't, for all the reasons I've mentioned. But there is a nice Xander moment because he says the demons, they are the sacrifice. I like this because it shows that Xander is contributing. Buffy was busy fighting and would not have seen what happened or connected it. She's still fighting, the demon's still hitting Spike, and almost reflexively, Spike hits back, and he braces for the pain, and there isn't any, and Spike says, no pain, I can hurt a demon. This is pure exposition so that the audience gets what happened, but James Marsters really sells it as what Spike would say, because he is so thrilled, and he throws himself into the fight to triumphant music, but Spike didn't get the memo about the demons being the sacrifice and he pitches the demon into the giant hole now the whole place is really shaking xander and willow stare at him in horror and spike looks so confused and he says what i was helping 
The building starts falling down on them. Spike gets hit by a board. Buffy is still fighting the last demon and yells at them all to get out. Xander and Willow help Spike leave. Buffy and the demon continue fighting, and suddenly Riley is there, too, in his camouflage outfit with his commando gear, and he helps fight. Buffy tells him don't let the demon jump in the hellmouth. They're finished if it does. Now we're at the climax of the episode, where the opposing forces engage in their final confrontation and resolve the conflict. At 38 minutes, 52 seconds in, a pillar falls on Riley, the demon, which is now on the ground, grabs the talisman and crawls into the hole. Buffy tells Riley she's going in. He clips a cord from his tool belt onto her and says, you're coming back out. She dives in. He spools out the line. We see Buffy hurtle down head first, cut back to Riley holding on. The whole area shakes, and then he pulls on the cord to reel it back in. Unclear how he knows when to do that, but Buffy's hand eventually comes out of the hole. He rushes to help her out, and she yanks the demon, which she has by the arm, out of the hole as well and onto the ground. The shaking continues as the demon raises its head, but then its head drops, it dies, and the shaking stops. So that is it for the climax. This felt anticlimactic to me. Like the Zeppo, we don't see the defeat of the demons. It's all off screen. And here it's more problematic because this is supposed to be the main plot or at least a very important subplot. Now it is a sort of climax of the Riley Buffy relationship plot because they work so well together. In Hush they did as well, but they didn't know that's what they were doing until the middle of the fight. Here, they are purposely working together. Riley understands about why she has to dive in there. He helps make sure she gets back out. And though we don't quite see the mechanics of how it all works, it is some sort of a conclusion to see them work together. Now we are at the falling action where the story ties up loose ends and resolves any subplots that still need it. Riley and Buffy walk out of the library. Riley sees Xander, Willow, and Spike and awkwardly claims he was just passing by. And Willow says, you were just passing by in your G.I. Joe outfit? And Buffy says, no offense, but you do look wicked conspicuous. Riley stammers. He says the camouflage was because he was just playing paintball. And Xander says Riley's one of the commando guys. Riley is derailed from denying it by realizing that Spike seems familiar and he asks if he knows him. Spike puts on a very funny overdone American accent and claims he's an old pal of Xander's. At 41 minutes, 19 seconds in, we cut to Riley in his room. He's alone, shooting baskets again, and Buffy enters. He never called her, so she came over. Riley apologizes for not calling, but he's a dead man. Last night with her friends was a disaster. He was trained to be sneaky, and he was terrible at it. Paintball? Riley says, I should have just given them my security code and rank. And Buffy says, you have a security code and rank? Riley responds, no. Did I just say? Then he goes on that everyone knows he's finished. It's the end of the world. And Buffy says, no, it's not, and kisses him. 
At 42 minutes, 40 seconds in, we cut to Spike standing in front of the TV. He's in his jeans and black t-shirt again, blocking Willow's and Xander's view as he upbraids them for sitting around watching TV when there's evil out there. He shuts off the television, tells them that's not very industrious of them, and goes on, I say we go out there and kick a little demon ass. What? Can't go without your Buffy? Is that it? Two chicken? Let's find her. She is the chosen one after all. He goes on about the need to annihilate vampires and says for justice and for the safety of puppies and Christmas, right? Let's fight that evil. Let's kill something. We cut to the credit screen and we hear Spike say, oh, come on. And that is the end of the episode. So with Buffy and Riley... I think we're clearly meant to take away that when Buffy again faced the real end of the world and stopped it, it gave her some perspective. This suggests her bad reaction to Riley being a commando was mainly about her having died the last time there was an earthquake. But there's evidence in the episode otherwise that it was also about Angel and Faith. And I'm not sure anything here resolves that. It's also not clear what she meant about being sucked into uber evil. She did, though, find that she and Riley could work together well. So I'll take back what I said. Maybe it does address the faith concern because now she knows Riley is thoughtful in a crisis. He listened to her when she told him, keep the demon out of that hole. So he's not faith-like in how he fights. He doesn't just go off and do whatever because he relishes the fight so much. I suspect the reference to Faith, though, was less a character issue and more there for a foreshadowing reason, which I will talk about in spoilers and foreshadowing, which I hope you will stick around for. Otherwise, that is the end of this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will come back next time for A New Man. It is a Giles-centric episode where Ethan Rain returns to Sunnydale. And we are back for spoilers. This mention of Faith and the coma, it could be there solely to set up the double episode arc, This Year's Girl and Who Are You, when Faith gets out of that coma. And that is coming up pretty soon. So this reminds us Faith is still out there. This whole episode also foreshadows many Buffy-Riley conflicts to come, including that Buffy really did want Riley, once she came to terms with it, to be a nice, normal guy. I feel like the show as a whole continues to struggle with that basically with what to do with Riley. Here we mainly see a conflict with Riley being all about, oh, this is so fun, and for Buffy, it's destiny. And we'll certainly see that revisited. Another conflict that's foreshadowed is Riley's reaction in the next episode after Buffy and Professor Walsh talk. And Riley says he suddenly finds himself needing to know the plural of apocalypse. And he, throughout the next episode, seems a bit intimidated 
by all that Buffy deals with and her fighting and her strength, though he claims that he's not and he thinks it's great. I would like to see Riley apologize for making light of Buffy's concerns in this episode. To my recollection, he does not, but I could be wrong about that. When he's talking about apocalypses, there might be something in there where he acknowledges that he really did not understand what Buffy was saying. This episode also, as with Hush, foreshadows the season-long conflict between Buffy's approach to the supernatural, her respect for it, how she deals with it, to the initiative's approach that treats demons like animals. They use behavior modification chips on them. They experiment on them. They also try to use them for their own ends, as Professor Walsh does by creating Adam using demon parts. So it is very much a magic versus science approach conflict. And we foreshadow a more direct conflict between Buffy and Professor Walsh because Buffy and Giles here are looking at why are the demons doing this and the initiative just assumes it's your basic kill-destroy mission in terms of the demons. They just want to kill and destroy and create chaos. This belief that it's important to know why will get Buffy in trouble with Professor Walsh because Buffy asks way too many questions for Walsh and by extension for the military where the idea as we're shown it is to take orders not to start thinking about why. In the long run we have the foreshadowing that Buffy's destiny will be an issue between her and Riley in season five as she delves more and more into the history of Slayers the philosophy, the mental training, the physical training, that happens at the same time. Riley is completely at loose ends. He's out of the military and doesn't know what to do with himself. As I talk about in a bit in the Patreon content this month, the show doesn't quite bring that out. It focuses more on the idea that Riley leaves because he doesn't feel Buffy really loves him. But to me, it seems like a lot of what drives his choice is that she has this mission and purpose and he has lost his and has not found a new one. Obviously, there is great foreshadowing here for Spike gradually becoming part of the team. That takes a very long time before I think any of them actually consider him part of the team, but he does get there. Spike is also, interestingly, faith-like in the sense that he loves the fight. He relishes it. He is almost as overjoyed to find that he could fight demons as he would be if he could kill humans again. But this doesn't pose the same dangers for him that it did for Faith, because Spike doesn't care about the morality of all of it. And Faith did, though she might have denied it. Also, Spike is more in it, as we'll see, for the sheer love of the fight. So he'll switch sides and join the Scoobies at least some of the time in this season, seemingly solely for that reason where Faith was looking for connection. And she found that with the mayor and felt disconnected from the Scoobies, which influenced her choice of what side. I do think on some level, Spike is looking for a bit of a connection because he doesn't fit in the vampire world anymore. 
So he's somewhat lost, but mostly he just loves the fight. We'll see him go off and just fight vampires and demons for the fun of it on his own. Spike telling Willow and Xander that maybe Buffy would be better without them. That echoes themes we've already seen in this season with Willow not wanting to feel like a sidekick, hitting on their insecurities. And Spike will do this again purposely in the Yoko Factor. When, at Adam's behest, he deliberately separates them from Buffy. And maybe part of why it works so well is that he sows these seeds now and he plays on them later. It's, it's not part of a plan now, but it works out really well and is probably what gives him the idea about how to separate the friends when Adam asks him to do it. So that is it for spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. I hope all of you will come back next time in two weeks for A New Man, where Ethan Rain returns and causes a huge transformation, literally, for Giles. You can find my fiction and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com. That's L-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also listen to the podcast episodes on YouTube. Check out lisalilly.com slash YouTube. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020. All rights reserved.